I have the privilege of introducing our guest speaker this morning, uh, Judge Pat Evans. And uh, Judge Evans is a judge for the North Carolina 14th Judicial District. She assumed office on January 3rd, 2011, and her current term ends on December 31st, 2022. She received her undergraduate degree in political science from North Carolina Central University in 1980, and her Juris Doctor from North Carolina Central University School of Law in 1984. In 1984, she was admitted to the North Carolina Bar. In 1984 to 1990, she was an attorney in private practice in Durham. From 90 to 94, she was attorney in the district attorney's office. And that's where I probably had more interaction with, with uh, Judge Evans than I was a young officer then actually arresting folks. And if we made a case, we always wanted ADA Evans to take our case. She was a very good prosecutor. And so that's where I dealt with her in a more intimate way. Then in 94 to 2010, she went back in private practice. And from 2010 until now, she serves as a district court judge. One thing about um, Judge Evans is she's a, she's a woman of God. And in 2011, when she took the bench, she started, along with some others, she started a prayer at the courthouse once a month. And her and several other believers, not just judges, but others come from the outside, they gather in the courthouse and they pray. And I thank God for someone who sits in judgment that knows the righteous judge. Yeah. It gets the wisdom from the righteous judge. And she has done that. The courthouse prayer has been effective. It's also been a lot of pushback to it by some. And she may share that with you. But we're, we're thrilled to have her here with us this morning. And what, we, what I'd like to say is although in God's plan for his children, Judge Evans, he chose that you would not be reelected re to the bench. We know that when he closes one door, he opens another. And we're excited to see what God, how God is going to use you for his kingdom. Uh, Judge Pat Evans. Good morning, and thank you so much, Larry, for that generous introduction. About 70% of Durham didn't agree with you. I'm trying to figure that out, but it, it, it's, it's wonderful. I stand before, how much time do I have, Pastor Westbrook? Uh, I'm going to put my time on. Don't, don't, don't tell me however much time I need. <laughs> because I can tell y'all right now, I'm just like Paul. I stand here and preach till everybody fall asleep. And, and uh, if it's a Eutychus in the room, he might fall out the window and have to be revived. So that's not what we want. So you want to give me... 20 minutes. Oh, okay, four. He said four. All right. Yeah, all right. This is such a beautiful entrance, I tell y'all. I don't know why Pastor Westbrook hadn't invited me here before, but um, I'm glad to be here today. Um, <clears throat> let me just share with you that um, as far as the election, I learned some things about myself that I didn't know. I learned that through the media that I was homophobic. Okay, y'all must know something I don't know because we're constantly growing in the things of God. So, and then I learned that I didn't like victims in domestic violence cases. But what kind of puzzled me a little bit 
was like a couple of weeks before I had been honored as one of three people in the state of North Carolina for their advocacy for victims in domestic violence cases. And then the answer to that was, well, the lieutenant governor honored her and he's a Republican. So I said, Lord, this is a little different because every other election I've just pretty much just sailed right on through. But then it dawned on me when I saw those numbers, and this really isn't about me, this is about you all, and I'm gonna get to that, but I gotta get through me first, okay? When I saw the numbers, it dawned on me. The people who think like I think, who believe like I believe, either has an R or an a U for unaffiliated, or they're on probation and can't vote for me. <laughs> so that was a revelation. But out of this, I have grown so much in God. <clears throat> this is such an interesting time in my life. I'm not like most women. I love to tell you my age. I'm 66. And that's a wonderful age to be, because I can say things that young people can't say and get away with it. So I like saying, I love speaking the truth. I pray that I always speak the truth in love, but I'm human. So sometimes it may not sound very lovely. And the message I give to you all today may not sound as loving as I intend for it to sound, if you're struggling. Now, if you're not struggling with love and where you are in God, you shouldn't have a problem. But can I just point out the obvious, the elephant in the room, that Durham is in trouble, that America is in trouble, and the only ones who are the answer to what Christ needs to do would be us. Yes. Can I say that? Can I share that with you all? Will you receive that from me? Because whenever I come, Pastor Westbrook, I've been seriously speaking in Durham and in other places since 1998. And every time I go into a church, I always want to say, oh, you guys are so wonderful, and life is so good, and God loves you so much, which he does. But it's ne it never stops right there. I'm always coming like John the Baptist or Elijah or something like, I'm going to tell y'all what God said. And <laughs> it's up to you to believe it, but I'm going to walk on back out that door because I don't know y'all, and y'all don't know me. Today will be no different. Let me just share, first of all, Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let me tell you something. I grew up very, very, very poor. And I'm watching what's going on in Durham and across America, and I'm just shaking my head. 
because America's being set up to fail, to implode. And everybody's like, I, I spoke to um, Arnetta coming in. Thank you so much for being obedient to the spirit of the Lord and showing up. Um, and I said, it's like people have blinders on and they are deceived and it's okay. It's not okay. Because these are souls, and it's not God's will that not one soul be lost. But I'm looking at all these lost souls, and then I'm looking at church people, and they're like, hallelujah, praise the Lord, God is good. He is good, but he wants people saved. And we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We are compromising. The people of God are compromising his word. I'm meeting so many ministers or people in seminary or Christians, and they are sinners. They're sinners. They don't agree with what God says. They don't agree with the Bible. And if you say, well, that's not what God said, then you are intolerant. And you get called lots of different names that you shouldn't be called. So my question to you is, we all know that this is a critical time. Who's going to win this war? Will Endurum, will God win or will Satan win? This is the perfect time, and this is not in my script, which I always write scripts, so I won't talk forever, but this is a perfect time for what? Pastor Westbrook, a revival yes. in Durham, a revival. But it has to start with us because God is going to sift us. I'm being sifted right now. I'm standing before you. There is not one single area in my life that is not under attack right now. Not my family, not my job, nothing is, God has said, don't touch that. Well, Maybe my, well, I did have the flu. Yeah, every area of my life is under attack. So I stand before you and I say, God is faithful. And I would rather suffer with him than think that I am prospering with the enemy. That puts me in a small group. As far as my prayer group at the courthouse, that was the only thing that made me feel really bad about losing the election, because I said, well, who's going to carry on the prayer group? Uh, I have been reported to the county commissioners. They tried to stop. Uh, so many ways the prayer group has tried to, has been under attack. I'm a bold soldier. God doesn't have a lot of bold soldiers, I think, in Durham anymore. Why is that? Why are we kowtowing to the enemy? What are we afraid of? What has God not done for us that we ask him to do, that we cannot be faithful to him in such a time as this? What are, what are you asking him to do? I'm asking myself, I'm not just asking you these questions, I'm asking myself these questions. So, in all of this, I want to say that in the midst of these attacks, and, and it's all spiritual, it's not personal, this much I know, 
um, I just want to go fishing. That, that's, that's me, honestly. I want to say, you know what, Lord? How about if I take a couple of years off, Pastor Westbrook? Because y'all know he figured out, oh, let me, before she goes somewhere and sit down, let me call her and make her work. So he calls me. I'm at the beach getting ready to go fishing. Judge, uh, um, I want to know, do you speak at churches? Well, yes, sir. You think you could come Sunday and speak? This man right here is a legend. He is so amazing. He's one of my heroes. I could never tell him no. I, I, it wouldn't even dawn on me. I'm sure that there would be serious repercussions with God if I told this man, holy man of God, no. So here I am. Here I am. My mantra right now, it honestly, is to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and constant in prayer. That's what makes me be in a good place right now, in spite of everything that's going on, in spite of every area of my life being under attack. I have and continue to have more peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding, that God's my heart and mind, than I have ever had in my life. And I'm learning from this experience that if you want to truly draw close to God, you're going to have to be sifted. You're going to have to be sifted, and that is not a pleasant thing. So as I say, I'm in a good place right now. Trust me when I tell you that God has been faithful to me. In turn, I've learned to look at trials and tribulations differently than when I was in the world, because I'm now his ambassador. So why would Satan even bother what's already his? I've had the opportunity to share with many supporters lately that we, would, we should never question the goodness of God. Because if you think about it, when he's blessing us, when blessings are chasing us down the street, we never stop to say, God, why do you keep blessing me? What you doing? What is, what is wrong with you? You know I don't deserve any of this. But the moment trouble hits, what's the first thing we say? What are you doing, God? Why did you allow this to happen to me? So like Job said, will we accept good from his hand and not accept evil Amen. or troubles or pain? Re re recognize that God never allows pain to be wasted. Everything that every one of you are going through right now, and if you are saying, you should be going through some stuff right now. If you're not going through anything and you just skipping and hopping and just just through the tulips and the lilies or whatever, you might want to check your walk. That's all I'm saying. So there are many times in the recent months, like I shared with you early, that the name calling, the revelations that I didn't know about myself because they were not true, have happened that I've been tempted to respond to criticisms and attacks as the world would respond. However, I'm reminded of a story of a man who was, Larry, you can appreciate this, of a man who was being tailgated by a very stressed out woman on a busy thoroughfare. 
Suddenly, the stoplight just in front of the man turned yellow, and he had time to stop, so he stopped. He did the right thing, stopping at that crosswalk, even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating. Well, the woman behind him was furious. She hit the roof, laid on the horn, screamed in frustration, and shook her fist at the man for making him miss her chance to get through that intersection. As she was still in mid-rant, she heard a tap on her window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. The officer ordered her to exit her car with her hands up. He put her in the back of the police car where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a holding cell. After a couple of hours, another police officer opened the door to her cell and escorted her back to the booking desk where the arresting officer was sitting, waiting with her personal effects. The officer was extremely apologetic, however, and said, ma'am, I am so sorry for my horrible mistake. You see, I was behind you when you were blowing your horn and cussing a blue streak at the man in front of you. I noticed all the stuff on the back of your car, the choose life license plate holder, the what would Jesus do bumper sticker, and the fish emblem on the trunk. So naturally, I assumed you had stolen the car. <laughs> and God reminded me of that when I was tempted to just let Pat Evans respond to some of these things that were not true. And now I'm going to get to why I really came to talk to you today, which is about what to do when you don't know what to do. All right, so in Luke 22, 31 through 34, it reads like this. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has des desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, I can tell that y'all be reading the Bible. You know, if you go on down further, we talk, we hear Peter say, oh, Lord, Lord, ne I would never, ever, ever deny you. And he denied him three times. That, and Jesus told him he was going to do that. But what struck me is, because it is such a familiar passage, and we've all read it so many times, and I hope I'm the only one in this room that missed it until I was preparing for this message, is that I never saw or concentrated on the part when Jesus said he prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. Amen. I always concentrated on, oh, Lord, I'm going to be sifted. And, and then if you think about what sifting is, I don't cook. My husband cooks. He's an amazing cook. I'm an amazing eater and dishwasher. <laughs> but my mom used to, whenever she made a cake from scratch or she made her biscuits, she had a sifter. And she would put the flour that was already looked soft to me and ready, but she would sift the, the flour through the sifter. And I asked her, why do you do that, Mom? And evidently, it makes like the biscuits lighter or whatever that stuff is. But it, it's, it's a good thing 
that you sift the flour before you cook. So I was thinking, well, sifting is, I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to be unpleasant. But I never, it never dawned on me that our Lord and Savior was praying that our faith would not fail during the sip. Think about it. He's God. Jesus is God. He could say, look, Satan asked me to allow, to allow you to be sifted. I'm not going to let him do it. But we are his disciples, and he was sifted. Remember in the garden, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will but your will. So he's not, when he allows us to be sifted, he's not making us go through something he has not gone through. But, and how would we know we love him if, we, if, we, if our faith is not tested? You know, everybody can say, I have, I hear, I see people going to church. I see all these churches. Somebody told me one time it's about 1,500 churches in Durham. Everybody in Durham ought to be saved. There shouldn't be no sinners. You know, it should be a sign up at, at, at the four corners of Durham. No sinners because we got all these churches. Which we all know it's not so. So your faith has to be tested. And... Jesus, when I, we talk about sifting, he did something different there, too, that I had not seen. You know, when you actually spend time with God in his word, you know his word is, he shows you things that just leap off the page that you think you, you know, but you really don't know. Well, he said, he called, he said, Simon. He called Peter Simon. Remember, he had already changed Peter's name to Peter. He said, upon this rock, I'll be, your name is Peter. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. But when he talked to him in this instance, he said, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. In other words, you're going to be run through the sifter, Peter. You're going to be shaken up and bounced around. You're going to go through an ordeal. You're going to be sifted as wheat, which separates the good grain from the chaff. And it's going to reveal your weaknesses. And it's true. That's what happened with Peter. But it didn't just happen with Peter. Because when we're sifted, it reveals who we are. Whether we're going to stick with God. Oh, we're going to go with the rest of the crowd in Durham that says evidently God not with the times and certain things in the Bible we don't have to follow. We can change those around. We can water them down. We can dilute them. We can just go along with the crowd. And so when Jesus said that he prayed that Peter's faith would not fail, he invited Peter, he's inviting me, and he's inviting you to concentrate on this. He prayed that Peter's faith truly would not fail. He's praying that my faith, he is praying, Jesus is praying yeah. that my faith will not fail, that your faith will not fail in such a time as this.
Because no one is safe right now. If you think you're safe, then read, is it the 25th or the 26th chapter in Matthew when Jesus tells us these things that are happening that we're seeing right now in front of our eyes? He said they would happen. And then read the book of Revelation. The very things that he told us, just like he told Peter, you're going to be sifted and you're going to deny me. He's telling us these things are going to happen. And most of us are not going to hold on to him. Well, our faith is going to fail because it's going to be convenient. I have to eat the price of food. What is that? Um, I have to get to work the price of gas. So we're going to what? This church, every church, God's body, we're going to have to make a choice. Are we going to choose God and trust him to provide for us? Or we're just going to look at the government and say, the government will take care of me. Because that's what most people are doing right now. You can't even get folks to come to work. Nobody want to work anymore. Yeah. What is that? You a grown man sitting at home talking about a check. What? What you, what you do to get the check? And now we have all of these. And listen, there's nothing in the world wrong with social justice. That's, social justice is God's idea. Feed the homeless. You know, if, if someone is poor, give them. Give them food, give them something to wear, give them drink. If they're in prison, go visit them. But listen carefully to what I'm telling you. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to destruction. Everything that God has, Satan has a counterfeit. And if you don't know God for yourself, and if you can't hear him, you're going to think that, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Everything. Listen, I grew up dirt poor. I, there are no excuses. Go to work. Go to work. Yeah. Stop stealing. The words say, if you used to steal, don't steal no more. You, it's very simple to me. I don't understand why I'm standing out here on a log on the rock that your minister of music, your worship leader talked about. Out here by myself. It's not going to work. What are you teaching your children? Yes. Satan wants our children. Yes. If we don't instill the values that God has given us through our parents and our grandparents, they're lost. I've never seen so many unhappy young people in my life. And they're talking, listen, they're talking about suicide. They're talking about suicide. What in the world? What are we doing? What is our job? What are we supposed to be doing? Just come to church in such a, a beautiful edifice. Praise the Lord, saints. Praise the Lord. And just congregate amongst ourselves. With that dying world out there. You step out of this door. You go just a few, take a few steps. You see pain. You see suffering. You see injustice. But not as the world is thinking about injustice. 
Are you going to wait until you are the minority and you are the downtrodden and you are the ones who don't have a voice and you are the ones who are crying out in pain before you say, you know what, God? I want to be used by you. I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. I don't want anything that anyone can do. I want you to assign me a task that may be the difference, the, the difference may be life and death. Are you ready for that? Because let me tell you something. I learned a lot. I'm going to tell y'all why I got into so much trouble with in Durham. Because I want these killings to stop. There's no reason we should have all of these killings. Amen. And so what I did was, well, first, I gathered, I tried to gather the ministers. I said, this was years ago. Remember Pastor Westbrook? I said, all oh, y'all come here. He said, who is she to tell us what to do? Come here. Y'all need to learn how to get along because Dharma's in trouble. Now, this was way before we had all these killings and stuff. Because the answer is the body of Christ. That didn't go over too well. You know, with legends like this, yes. But he was already doing it. But for most of the ministers in Durham, it's about mm, money. How many people I can get in church on Sunday and Wednesday. So that didn't work. So then I went to the gang leaders. Said the same thing. I need y'all to stop all these killings. And guess who listened? The gang leaders. They said, okay, Judge Evans, we'll, we'll all come together, we'll stop, we'll put our flags down for a minute. But what's in it for us? I mean, and it made sense. How, our guns are our tools of the trade. To put our guns down, we, gotta, we still got to feed our family. They're looking around Durham. They're seeing how opulent, how successful people living in Durham. So my, they, they said, my children not going to starve. We don't have anywhere to live. So this is what I did. I said, look, I went to the leaders, the ones that control the money. I said, look, we need to do something about this. So um, six six apartments I've gotten for people, well, God got them, I didn't, that they can live in different areas of Durham. So when they hear about a shooting that's about to happen, they can go and talk. And it would be a lot worse if they were not doing what they're doing. But let me share with this. It's going to get worse unless they fi we figure out, leaders in Durham figure out, how can they sus be sustained not to sell the drugs? One guy told me, oh, it was just, it just warmed my heart. He said, I flushed a brick for you. I was like, oh, thank you so much. That's huge for me. That's not church talk. But if, if we don't do something, those of us who care, those of us who can, if we don't do something, Durham's gonna, we're gonna lose Durham. We're gonna lose Durham. And I, I don't say this out of bitterness, I say it because I love Durham with all my heart. Yeah. 
and I would love for us to have um, a prosperous city. So uh, let me just say this, a real Christian, a true Christian, must always bring his conduct, or in my case, her conduct, in line with the high position in which God has called us. We must act in a godly manner no matter what circumstances confront us. The woman I described in the story earlier could have easily been me. Well, it has been me before. Um, I, I, don't, I no longer curse, I used to. Um, but I do give other drivers evil looks when I'm cut off, you know, if I'm displeased with their, and they, you know, you give them that stank eye when you're ple not pleased with their driving. And I've been known to call them names. You know, what I, what's wrong with you? Where you get your license? What are you stuck on, stupid? Get out of my way. I don't think that's the spirit of Christ. I, I don't. But the, what, the thing that stopped me from being this woman in this instance, and I, I do have other issues, I promise you, but I'm riding down Guest Road on my way to work one morning. This was years ago when I was in the DA's office. And this car is in front of me, and it's going really, really slow. And I am this woman in this story, and I'm honking my horn. I'm using profanity. I'm riding on this person's bumper, the driver's bumper, and then I get up to them, I get ready to pass them, as God is my witness, it's a car full of nuns. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to die right now, and I know exactly where I'm going. I, I, so I, I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. So now, more than ever, we must be careful to cling to our faith and not allow our faith to fail. Jesus must be and remain our Lord as well as our Savior. If he is our Lord, then we are concerned not only with what we are doing inside the church or when others are watching us, but also when we, what we are doing outside the church when no one is watching. He is calling us to live holy. That should be a huge difference in the actions of Christians and the rest of society. It is not just with words that we say he is Messiah, son of the living God. We must show a dying world that he is our personal savior by living a life that is pleasing to him. What I do is not who I am. I have learned to be content in every circumstance. This means I must be open to whatever assignment God has in store for me next. My faith is my most precious, most valuable asset. It is my faith that Satan wants. He doesn't care about what kind of house I live in, what kind of car I drive, how much money I have in the bank, how many people um, like or don't like me. He wants my faith. He wants your faith. That is why he will do everything he can to get me as well as you to believe that God is not who he says he is and that God does not love us dearly. If you... Oh, you know what, y'all? I love the fact that the, um, the plate was passed. I grew up in a Baptist church where they did that. You know, my husband, he's all technologically advanced, so he looked up on the screen and he saw how you can pay with your card. He did that. I don't do cards. Pastor, all right? I don't do cards, so I have some cash. Anybody else carry cash? See, y'all old-fashioned, too. Nobody else. People say, you need a card for this. I don't, want, I don't like cards, because you can be tracked with a card. 
Cash don't belong to nobody. You know, if, if I, you got $100, I take $100. How you gonna prove that was your $100? So, no, but just the fact that I could put some cash in that collection plate, that was huge to me. That was huge. Okay, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you how much. It was $10, all right? If I, but if I take that $10 and I crumble it up, and I step on it, maybe spit on it, throw it in the mud. How much is that $10 worth? As Christians, when we're sifted, when we're tainted through, when our name is, you know, all manner of evil is said about us, when we're called all kinds of things, when we're treated any kind of way, our faith is still just as valuable but the enemy doesn't want us to believe that when we go through the first thing he'll say where is God that's what he asks me all the time where is God now same place he was before you asked me because you look the scripture says Jesus he asked Jesus to send Peter and the other disciples he would if we read our Bible we know he asked God to torture Job. He didn't have permission to do it without God. So when he asked me, where is God in the same place, still loving me, still faithful, still caring for me, still waiting on me when I get to heaven, when everything is going to be glorious? And that's what we're going to have to say. Now maybe him, maybe Satan don't talk to y'all, maybe it's just me, but... He will. He will. If you think about it, don't God talk to us? All right. And for, and for those one or two people in the room who don't think Satan is real, no, they'll be, I'll come back and talk to y'all about that. Uh, but remember this. How much time I got, y'all? Well, he gone, so I can talk once I want to. Remember this. <laughs> Remember to guard your heart and your mind. Rise up, Bethel. Rise up in faith and obedience. Don't keep taking anything for granted. Ask God, how can I do more? We can, all of us, we can all do more. Don't waste time listening to what the lies that Satan is spewing. I'm telling you, Durham is ripe for a revival, but it has to start with us. So we just need to seek God's direction. And remember, favor is in front of you, grace and mercy are behind you, our careers, our bank accounts, our time, our talents, they all belong to God. We have a responsibility to spread the good news to illuminate this sin-darkened world, starting in Durham. I urge you, if you are brokenhearted right now, wounded by life, take the time to praise God. Press into him and praise him with all your might. Focus on his love and mercy. Our king is always worthy of praise. Praise will get you through any storm. God allows storms in our lives to increase our faith. 
the amount of praise may very well determine your breakthrough. And um, I want to say in front of everyone, what I will tell Pastor Westbrook is, I'm so grateful that he allowed me to share his pulpit because ministers just don't turn their pulpits over to anyone, not real ministers, not your minister, to anyone. So this was important to God, so important that Pastor Westbrook was obedient and called me and asked me to come, so important that I would come and do this. So, Bethel, I bless you this morning. And I say, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord be merciful and kind to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Now, if there's anything, because he's God, I can do whatever I want. If there's anyone in here that heard what I said, like not just was listening to be polite, because I'm still a judge until December 31st. But if you really heard what I said, let's, let's pray together. We, listen, the fate of the world is in our hands. The enemy wants to destroy all of us. And he wants to take all of us with him because his time is short. He knows it's short. That's why he's acting the way he's acting and causing so much confusion and chaos and so much corruption that's okay with the world. It's not or cannot be okay with us. Y'all, come on, let's pray. Let's, let's, we need a breakthrough.